Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today we're going to be bringing a message to you from Isaiah 59. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Old Covenant Scriptures, and it is so powerful and very much applicable to the Jewish people today. The message is one, it's a message that needs to be heard by the nation of Israel of what God is saying through Isaiah to the Jewish people. And it's also a message for us today. When we think about what God is saying contextually from Isaiah, from God to Isaiah, to the Jewish people, and then how the gospel has come to us from the Jewish people, everything that was preached by Isaiah here, we are still preaching today. And I want to look at this and look at God's word and see what God is saying to the Jewish people. Now, remember Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet that ministered for 60 years. And in this prophecy, this is at the end of his life. As we're coming to Isaiah 59, we've already dealt with the four Hebrew songs of chapter 42, 49, 50, and chapter 53. That was about the servant that concluded in the suffering servant of this one that will come and lay down his life like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. How he will justify the many and the many is an idiom for Israel, how he will die for their sins, but not for his own sins. And so we see how the suffering servant, the Messiah, came and laid down his life for Israel, and from Israel, salvation has come to the world. The last part of his prophecies of Isaiah from 40 to 66, the last part of the scroll, we're really looking at a time frame that is after the destruction of Israel that took place in 721 BC. However, there is still the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin and also elements of all the tribes fled down into Judah in the Assyrian invasion in 721 BC. So really, you're talking to the house of Judah, the house of Israel, but there's only the kingdom of Judah that is left. You have the Levites as well, because you had Levitical cities in the north, now in the south, and now Levites have fled down into the south as well. So we are looking at a message about what separates the Jewish people, Israel, from God. And we're going to look at that context and then the promise of a Redeemer that God will send to Zion. Zion representing the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem, and all of Israel. And we're going to see that salvation will come from God, and it will completely come from God. And that this message that Isaiah is going to see is going to be a message that is going to be preached from generation to generation. And now today, we're going to preach that same message. Here, uh, Alan is with me in the studio, and we're going to be sharing and reading together. And I want to say a word about the difference between preaching and teaching. For me, preaching is in the context of proclaiming. 
When you proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord, that's a proclamation. You're preaching it. You're preaching the good news. When you get to teaching, teaching is more of the element, how do we know that Jesus is Lord? Looking at the details, going through the scriptures, and showing that Yeshua, the Messiah, he is Lord, and going through the, all the aspects of why we can say that. So when we look at pastoral ministry, shepherding, that one of the gifts that God has given to the body of the Messiah is a pastor-teacher. If you'll look in Ephesians chapter 4, that last gift, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some pastor-teacher, or sometimes it is translated pastors and teachers. But really, that should be translated together, pastor-teacher. So if you are a pastor, a shepherd over a local body of believers, one of your responsibilities in equipping the saints, discipling the believers, is to teach them the Word of God. So when you stand up on Sunday mornings or Saturdays or whenever you have your main service and you give them the Word of God, you are proclaiming and you will always be teaching as well, teaching God's Word. So today we're going to be proclaiming, but we're going to be teaching, we're going to be sharing the details and going through all of Isaiah 59 and looking at a Redeemer that has come to Zion. So I'm going to ask Alan if you don't mind reading the first eight verses of Isaiah 59. All right, we'll start with verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. What God is showing to Isaiah as he is speaking to the people, it is sin that separates them from their God. The first verse is so important that I hopefully that this principle can speak to anybody at any time. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. When you look at this, what God is saying at the beginning it's not a hopeless situation. With all the sin that is going on, God is willing to hear. God is willing to save. The extended hand of the Lord is something that represents God coming to us. God's hand is not so short that it cannot save. And what the prophet is saying is God is speaking through his life. It's not over with people of Judah. It's not over Jerusalem. 
there is still an opportunity to repent of your sins, to come back to God from the heart and allow God to cleanse this land. This is something that I want to look at in these first eight verses that I said one time as I was teaching this passage in the nation of Israel. And I, and I said this, the only prayer that God will listen to, to a people, a family, an individual that is living in sin when they come to God is a prayer of repentance. God will not hear a prayer of God bless me, God protect me, God look over my family. If we are living in sin, God does not hear that prayer. But what God does hear in this situation where his hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. If we come to God with a prayer of repentance, God will hear and God will save. And it has to be a true repentance that comes from the heart because only a true repentance from the heart really changes the actions of mankind. So here from the beginning, listen, here's your sin, but I'm able to save. I'm able to hear, but it's not going to be a prayer, God bless me. It's not going to be a prayer that says, because I've gone through this tradition, or I've kept the feast, or I give offerings at the temple, or I, I go to the sacred assemblies, or I keep the Sabbath. No, none of these things can, because you're doing these things, can you say, God, you have to bless me. God, protect me. God, give to me. No, when we're living in sin, consistently in God's word, the only prayer that he listens to is a prayer of repentance. And their sin is evident before God. Their sin is something that's not just something that they're hiding. Look at verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Not straight paths, but crooked paths. I remember one time there was this man that I knew that one time he said, looking at these other two individuals that really, really knew the Lord and walked with the Lord, he drew a straight line. He said, this represents your life. Everything is straight for you. And then he drew a crooked line and he said, this represents me. I don't always see everything black and white. I see a lot of gray everywhere that I go. And he really was trying to say that in a positive way, referring to his life that he was a person that wasn't so much black and white and he walked with moral absolutes. He lived a crooked life. And he didn't even really understand what he was saying was such a negative about his own life. And that crooked line defined who he was. He was supposedly a minister of the gospel. When you look at the Jewish people, they are supposed to be in a covenant relationship with God. They have the temple in Jerusalem. They believe that they're protected by God in their lives, they're provided for, and that God is with them, but they're living in sin, and their paths are crooked. They're not straight, and this is what God is saying about them. 
So this is not hidden sins that they are doing from time to time. This is full lifestyle of sin that they are living in arrogance and pridefulness before God and they're not even ashamed of it and God is speaking through the prophet, this is your life, but know that my hand is not too short. Know that my ear is not so dull that it cannot hear. But what is the prayer that God is looking for? Not a prayer of bless me, bless me, but a true prayer of repentance that brings them back to their God. Amen. So now let's look on in verses 9 through 14. Let's go through verse 15 because verse 16 is going to take us to a transition. So let's read these next verses. Verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. I believe, Alan, this is Isaiah bringing forth the confession of the wickedness within the land. So there's an acknowledgment by Isaiah representing the people about what is taking place. For salvation, it is far from us. Our transgressions are are multiplied before you, God, and our sins testify against us, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God. I can go on and on, but you read God's word here, but it's a confession that, yes, what God is saying in the first eight verses, Isaiah is representing the people and saying, this is what is taking place within the nation we recognize it. This is the truth about who we are. Verse 15, yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. You know, in any type of organized crime or system that even if a person wants to do the right thing, that they're not able to, because if they do the right thing, then they become the target of everyone else. This is what is happening in the nation of Judah. Now the Lord saw, verse 15, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. There was not the justice of God within the land. What was there? People running to evil. People looking at themselves, trying to do what is best for themselves. But not, it wasn't about God and it wasn't about others. It was how to take advantage of others and not live a life that is pleasing to God. So their transgressions are multiplied and their sins testify against us, Isaiah says. So this is the state of the nation of Israel 
the nation of Judah, Zion, Jerusalem, it is written in totality and there is not a repentance that is coming from the people, but they're very comfortable in a lifestyle of sin. Now let's go to verse 16. I want to read this first because this is what starts making the transition, not from the people, but from God. And this is what is so powerful about this chapter in Isaiah. It is God that's going to put on the full armor, and it's God that's going to bring salvation to the Jewish people. Verse 16, And he saw that there was no man, and he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. So God is looking, and he's speaking through Isaiah, and he's looking for individuals, probably plural, that will stand in the gap, but he could not find one individual that was willing to stand in the gap and to intercede. And if you look back on the history of the Jewish people, there was always one individual that was willing to stand in the gap. There was always an individual. There was always a remnant. Now you may say, well, what about Isaiah here? God is speaking this prophecy to Isaiah, and what God is saying through him, I don't see anyone that's willing to stand in the gap. And was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation unto him. This is God speaking, that his arm brought salvation unto himself, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with a zeal as a mantle. Verse 17, Alan, who is putting on the armor here contextually? He, it says it's that capital H, so the, the Lord and or his, uh, his salvation. Right, when you see the capital H, this is an interpretation of who is speaking here, but it's getting it correct here. In verse 17, God is putting on the armor. He's putting on the armor because there's no one to intercede. There's not anyone to stand in the gap. And the Lord is astonished by this. And so now God is putting on the armor and he's ready to go to battle against the sin that is within the people. Verse 18, according to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands, he will make recompense. When you look at verse 18, someone may say, what does that have to do with salvation? Well, salvation is not just God's mercy and God's grace coming to us. Salvation is also judgment upon the wicked. And there is always a two-pronged understanding of God's salvation. Grace and mercy extended to those who repent and come back to God and judgment for the wicked that refuse to come back to God through repentance. So part of God putting on the full armor is that, yes, he will repay for their deeds and the evil that they have done. Verse 19, so they will fear the name of the Lord from the west 
and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is a reference to the east. It's interesting that here it's from the west to the east. Because he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. So there will be God coming to us, to the ones that fear the name of the Lord from the west to the east. And he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. There will be a consuming power of God that comes from the west to the east for those who fear the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 20. How is this going to take place? A redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turned from transgression in Jacob or in Israel, declares the Lord. How is God going to put on the full armor of God? How will God bring judgment upon the wicked? How will he be like a wind driven, a rushing stream that is driven by the Lord from the west to the east for those that fear him? Because a redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Israel, declares the Lord. For those that are willing to repent, God will bring a redeemer to Zion. He's going to put on the full armor uh, he's going to put on the full armor to go to battle because not any individual was willing to stand in the gap. This time, God's going to battle. God will judge the wicked. God will come to those that fear the Lord because he's going to give a redeemer. A redeemer will come to Zion. What a powerful message that I believe that is pointing to this day of redemption that Sin separates us to God. What's going to take care of this sin? No man can stand in the gap, but God's going to send a Redeemer to Zion that's going to make all the difference for sin. For those that refuse God, they will live in their wickedness. This salvation that comes from God will be judgment upon those, those that fear the Lord. This Redeemer will be for them that will bring cleansing for those that repent because a Redeemer will come to Zion. Now that is future tense, will come to Zion. You know, that's, that's powerful. I mean, you take the first 15 verses, this whole sort of laundry list of things that they're doing wrong because, you know, their iniquities and their sin. Um, but remember, you know, like you said at the beginning, it starts off with, you know, behold, the arm of the Lord is not too short. And then God himself takes it upon himself to, to step off of his throne put on this armor and come down and say i care about you so much i love love you so much you're doing all these things this is what you've turned to but i'm going to get up i'm going to make it right and how is he going to make it right through verse 20 through the redeemer that's going to come to Zion. so right. it's just amazing that that in israel and and you know you've talked about this before israel never got it right throughout their entire history. There was a point they turned back, they'd go back to sin, all of the things that God delivered it out of, and even here, they're still doing all these things. They're literally running to evil. It's not a question that they have their, their intentions. They're running to it, but God's saying, you know what, I'm still gonna come. I'm, I'm gonna do it myself. It's not gonna be from man. It's not gonna be something that you have done. It's not by all of these things, because what are you doing in the first 15 verses? You're running to evil and all the things he lists but he's still going to get up and come right. to bring salvation, redemption, but also judgment. 
to the people that won't turn from it. Right, and looking back on the history, and what I mean by that statement, they never got it right, is in the context of this, there was always a remnant. There was always a king, Josiah, David, Hezekiah. There are different kings that they got it right, and they stood in the gap. But when I look back on the whole history of the nation of Israel within the land, their hearts were not right with God. So for any extended time of serving God from the heart, yes, there was always an individual or a remnant, a few people, or think about in Elijah, Elijah's time. He thought he was the only one. And God said, no, I have 7,000 that have not bowed in the land. And that was up in Israel, the northern kingdom. So there was always those that stood in the gap. There were always those that did not bow down to the false gods. But in this context, when it comes to the sin, it represented the whole nation. And there wasn't anyone at this time that could stand in the gap and to intercede and to make a difference for the people. This was going to be like you described, God getting up from his throne, putting on the armor, going to battle, judging the wicked, those that refuse to repent and turn back to God. That's part of God's salvation. And then for those that fear the Lord, there's going to be this Redeemer that comes to Zion that will bring about salvation. Salvation from what in this context? From sin. Sin separates you from your God. And so this Redeemer that will come, future tense, to Zion is coming for the purpose of the sin of the people. That's just like Isaiah 53, the last servant song of how the suffering servant will lay down his life for the nation of Israel. Now the next verse is so powerful because it represents you and I today as well, Alan. As for me, this is my covenant with them. So from original intent, this is God saying, as for me, this is my covenant with them, the Jewish people, saith the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. So here I believe He's talking to Isaiah. As for me, this is my covenant that I made with them, plural, the people, saith the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, Isaiah, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your children or your offspring, nor the mouth of your offspring's offspring, saith the Lord, from now and forever." And what I believe is being said here, that God is saying to Isaiah, that I have made a covenant, and this message that I have put in your mouth about a Redeemer that will come to Zion, that will be the one that stands in the gap and intercedes for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, that this message that I have given to you, Isaiah, that you're preaching right now will not depart from your mouth. And the children that come from you or the offspring that come from you, the next generation, they will preach it. 
and then the children that come after them, they will preach it. It will go on and on, and there's going to be a guy named John the Baptist that comes on the scene, and he's going to preach a message of repentance to the Jewish people about getting your hearts right with God, a true repentance from the heart so that you can see who the Redeemer is. And when John the Baptist saw Yeshua, Jesus, coming in a distance, he quoted Isaiah 52 and 53 by saying this, or he summarized it, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so he saw this Redeemer that was coming, and he preached it, and then we see the Redeemer, and we see the disciples of the Redeemer. They preached it, and the next generation, and the next generation, and here we are 2,000 years on the other side, and you and I are preaching the message about a Redeemer that will come to Zion. When Isaiah is preaching it, he's 600 years before the coming of the Redeemer, we're 2,000 years on the other side, but we're preaching the same message. A Redeemer will come to Zion, and He will be the one that stands in the gap for sin. He is the one that's going to put on the full armor. He is the one that will judge the wicked, and He is the one that will bring salvation, mercy, grace, forgiveness from the west to the east for those that fear the Lord. And so powerful, this message. And I preached this message. My father preached this message. His father preached it. And now my son's going to preach this message. And I pray the next generation, if they don't preach it, somebody else will. This message will be forever and ever. It will never cease to be proclaimed from the lips of generation to generation. Even in the worst of times, there will be individuals that say, a redeemer will come to Zion. And, and when I look at that word forever, you know, I think about even beyond that, when, when we're in eternity and after the Lord's day, and, and we're still going to be proclaiming that through all of eternity. Amen. You know, that Jesus, we are here because of the Messiah, because of the Savior, because of the Redeemer that God promised to send through Isaiah. Right. And all of eternity, we're going to be singing that, proclaiming that, celebrating that when we're with him. And that's, that's incredible. Amen. Can I read a little bit more? I want to go to Isaiah 61. Because to me, Isaiah 61 is kind of a conclusion of all the things that he has seen about this Redeemer that has come to Zion. Now, it's a song as well, but it's not one of the servant songs. The servant songs are chapters 42, 49, 50, the end of 52, and all of 53. But this is a song as well in Isaiah 61. And this message in 59 is so powerful that there comes about this understanding of a glorified Zion in 60. And then in chapter 61 is another song. And I want to look at this song just briefly and have one, one principle or one concept that comes out of that that relates to chapter 59. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Here, Isaiah is speaking. So he's talking about the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to the prisoners. Now go back to chapter 59, verse 21. As for me, God is speaking, this is my covenant with them, the people, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, talking to Isaiah. Here in this song in chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is God's spirit upon Isaiah to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. What God showed Isaiah through this 60 years of prophetic ministry, and he's coming to the end of his life, the end of this ministry about this redeemer, about this suffering servant, about this child that will be born, uh, this son that will be given unto us. And we look at all these prophecies throughout his ministry. And now in this last song here, he is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. Look at verse 2, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. When you look at all of this, what I believe is happening here in this last song that Isaiah is singing, everything that he has seen about the Messiah, the suffering servant, the child that will come, the one that will be a land that is led to the slaughter, and also the one that will bring peace to the earth, that the, the cobra will lie down with the child and the lamb will lie beside the lion. And you see this peace that comes to the earth through this one. We look at this. He is saying, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me to preach the good news. And you see this, how he's rejoicing because of what God will do for the people through this great Redeemer that has come to Zion. Now think about this, everyone that's listening. Jesus is in Nazareth, and he goes and he takes the scroll, and he opens up the scroll, and he starts reading from the point that they left off the week before, and they didn't have chapters and verses at that time, but he's going to start reading from where they left off, and he begins reading this passage. And what he is saying, he turns to the audience of Jews there in Nazareth. He says, today this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what I believe is happening, he is saying, everything that Isaiah prophesied about in all of his life about this Redeemer that will come to Zion, how he preached the good news in your hearing today, it is fulfilled in me. Praise God. And it's so powerful when you see it in that way that it's almost the, the understanding of all of his ministry, everything he prophesied, everything about redemption coming to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, how he will come, he will lay down his life, he is the child, he is the one that will come forth that will bring peace to the earth, he is the one that is the lamb and the lion. 
he is the one that will bring God's redemption fully to the earth. And today, Jesus is saying, today, Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah preached about is fulfilled in me. That's what Yeshua said. And it's such, such a powerful understanding when you see it in its original context and understand that Jesus is the Redeemer that will come to Zion that Isaiah prophesied about, that his children will speak of, that his grandchildren will speak of, that will go from generation to generation till the, the Redeemer came to Zion, to Zion, laid down his life, fulfilling Isaiah 53, and took away the sins of everyone that believes that message and really dealt with the sin of the people and salvation now has come from Israel to the ends of the earth, fulfilling those servant songs and now you and I are preaching about it today. And we don't even come from Israel. And we're preaching about the Redeemer that came to Zion. That's incredible. Praise God. So I hope everybody sees it. I hope this is not just a, a sermon, something to proclaim, but it's also taught today. You can see it within its original context. And we stand today because a Redeemer came to Zion. He's not just the redeemer of Zion, he's the redeemer of the world because Zion, Israel, was to be a light to the nations and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And this has only come through this redeemer that Isaiah prophesied about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, God, today that we know that Yeshua is the redeemer that came to Zion. He is the suffering servant. He is the one, the child and the son that you promise that would be given and born unto Israel. Thank you, God, that we have faith that you ask the question, who will believe this message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We say we believe, we have faith. He is from you, God, and he is the redeemer that came to Zion that brought salvation to the world. And Lord, we're not willing to live in sin. We're willing to give you our lives and put our faith and trust in Yeshua, the Messiah. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.